0: All right, hello and welcome to the Money Lap news- Newsletter. It's not the Money Lap Newsletter, by the way. You can do better than that, Parker. I can
1: you want to start over? You want to try again? Uh,
0: maybe one more time. Hello and welcome okay. to the Money Lap Podcast. I'm Parker Kligerman, joined as always by Lanning Castle. Uh, this is our podcast about all motorsports, and we do have a newsletter The Money Lap newsletter at themoneylap.com three times a week comes Mondays with highlights from all the biggest motorsports events from the weekend prior. Wednesdays, you get more news and highlights and cool things from around the motorsports world and also on Friday with some fantasy and that sort of thing in there. Uh, But just a little behind the scenes, that newsletter is growing over 5% a week right now and our open rate, which is how many people are actually opening that newsletter, is growing almost ten percent while we grow five percent. It's out of control. It's uh it's popping off. People love it, which is cool. And we want more people to to be a part of it. So if you're if you're subscribed, we appreciate it. We want to know from you, what can we do to get you to send it to your friends? We're thinking about coming up with a referral program, maybe with merch. I don't know. Is there anything cool other cool stuff we can do, Landon? I don't know. Maybe we just I, we've look. we've talked about T shirts, hats, yeah. like what could what would
1: what would motivate you, the listener, or the money lap newsletter reader to say, hey, I want to spread the word? Or, you know what? You could just do it out of the kindness of your heart because you like us and you support <laughs> us and you support the newsletter. Um, because, you know, I know it's me and Parker talking here, but we got a whole team of guys that are working their butts off to write this thing and help produce this podcast. Everybody's heard about producer Josh. Kyle's on the newsletter. AJ's making the clips. You know, we got a whole team. So everybody's working hard. Let's get this
0: thing. And we, you know, spread the word. We do it all for free. All we're asking is just tell your friends. That's all, you know, same thing with this podcast. Tell your friends. Maybe we can build the referral program. We both, if you spread the podcast and the newsletter word, uh, you win all sorts of cool stuff. Speaking of which. The Firecracker 400, our big sim racing event, the biggest sim racing event in America, as we self-proclaimed it. Over 300 competitors uh, will be vying for the $12,500 prize pool. Our friends from Thrustmaster have come on board. We're going to have some cool content around Thrustmaster's new T818 wheel, their direct drive, which is pretty sweet. Uh, But looking forward to that. Kicks off. So when you listen to this, it will be kicking off that night. You'll be listening to this on Wednesday. This will drop Wednesday morning. We're recording Tuesday afternoon um the first prelim start pretty awesome yeah it's
1: it's super exciting this is like the best three weeks in sim racing because it's it's our tournament we're gonna whittle this field down it's gonna be stressful it's gonna be a lot of fun so make sure you tune in um that's a lot of good stuff to roll off parker but (laughs) i'm seeing your notes here you have some some bad news for the pr lab.
0: yeah, this is the PR lab. We didn't even say that, but people should know that by now. This is where we just talk about ourselves for a while. We have been on a quest for 100 reviews on this podcast for on Apple Podcast, and we were we were growing like the newsletter. It was like a weed. It was out of control. Uh, since last week's podcast, this one, we have gained one. That no, that's just one one whole review. It's uh, <laughs> not enough. To 82 reviews. So we, it was a good we review, wanted to get to 100. It was a great review. It's from it, Bob White. I mean,
1: it was a... honestly this one review yep. was just like combined all of the energy of great reviews with a with a huge impactful statement <laughs> where Bob White in Texas said best podcast on all things motorsports. Best. Capital Boom. B. So, <laughs> I mean, that right there just tells you that we've
0: made it. We are the it's best. So, maybe we just quit there. Maybe that's why we're not gaining anymore because that can't be topped, can it?
1: Um. So, yeah. So I guess if we can only get one review, at least it's that one. But <laughs> <laughs> these reviews coming to get Parker to so he can do whatever it is that he wants to do when we get to 100 reviews. Or uh, w- talk about how he wants to get to 200.
0: Yeah, I'm going to start talking about getting to 200. <laughs> and what I'll do then. We'll see. We got some on Spotify. Same crew out there, potatoes and such. We're we're not gonna thank you, potatoes. We appreciate, it, buddy. Um, also, the PR lap. We talked about our own racing. By the way, I raced this past weekend at Atlanta. Finished eighth. Not the whole story. Uh, I was running the top five with just a couple laps ago when I actually packed air on Austin Hill's left rear quarter panel by accident spun him out wasn't trying to do that was just trying to stick with him and to go around the 20 of John Hunter Niebuek and then try and catch the college cars who really controlled this race uh, we had a okay car we we, we had a cut down left for a tire at the beginning of the race and actually the fender was just rubbing the tire too much so we had to cut it uh which probably you know made us a little slower than we wanted to be uh, but we were still probably you know top five easy um and we restarted the last restart behind Chandler Smith who ran out of fuel so didn't get to get a great restart, restarting you know third on the top lane, and that really set us back. So, not the not the smoothest race. Our team did a good job. Everyone big machine racing. I appreciate the effort. Uh, our car looks badass. It's a spiked light course car. I love it. It's orange and white. I think it looks like an orange going down the track, <laughs> like an arms maybe like an arms. You can arms definitely musical. see it. It, it. pops. It pop. The night races. I'm like, oh man, that pops. That's cool. So, I like that. But. I don't know, was there anything else from the Atlanta Xfinity race that we should discuss? John Hunter won with what maybe was one of the more atrocious handling cars I've ever seen. Uh, <laughs> which was oh my gosh. To him. his car <laughs> did
1: not drive well. But, and I don't think there's been a Gibbs car that does drive well at Atlanta since they repaved it. Um so but they've won because you know Ty Gibbs won the or no no no. Ty Gibbs didn't win. Austin Hill won, the inaugural yeah. one.
0: Um yeah. Ty Gibbs almost won. Do mm-hmm. I have that right? I can't remember. You've tested my knowledge completely. Well, Austin Hill won one last year, and then he won this year. So spring. Ty Gibbs won the first one, Austin Hill won the second one. Maybe, yeah. Yeah. Last, so last year was, year was the, the, it was the first year of the of the replay. Yeah.
1: Um I I w I want to point out one thing that I meant to text you during the race. <laughs> I think I <laughs> did text Once you. Once again, during I the don't race. have my I don't have my phone during the race, so this is what I'll read afterwards. I know, but that's not going to stop me from texting you in the middle of the (laughs) race. First of all, I think I did text you this during the race, um, but we didn't discuss it yet. So this is the first time talking about it. I was Uh going to text Keith, your competition director, but then I was like, "Ah, I don't know how to get this across. So the 21, I, I think he uncovered one of the best new ways to pass at Atlanta. And that is from the start finish line to turn one. Yeah. He did a masterful job of getting on the bumper of the car in front of him, which is easier said than done because his car was pretty fast, but he would get runs and get on a bumper of the car in front of him. He would bait them high down the front stretch to the start finish line to where the goal is to get the guy in front of you as high on the track as you can out by the wall yep. at the start finish line and if you can get that guy as high on the track as you can at the start finish line and you have a position to where you can start to side draft him and you have a little bit of a run at the same time then you can shortcut the second dog leg and take max distance inside line down into turn one because you baited the driver in front of you as high as you can, to where he has to go the longest way possible. He thinks that you're trying to get to his outside, mm-hmm. right? Yep. And everybody wants to protect the outside because the middle groove is a preferred groove. Everybody's running the outside, but really, what you're trying to do is get him to run the outside, so he has to run the longest distance, right? Think about think about the a, a track and field track or or Talladega. You know, I know two completely different things, but. Um, the high line is a longer way around. get him to run the high line at the start finish line. that's when you make your move. And what I think is really perfect about that is the track is so wide there between the start finish line and turn one that if you get that guy all the way out to the outside groove, there's just is such a long way around. yep and he suckered so many people into <laughs> blocking high. At the start-finish line, and then he would just side-draft their left rear, take total distance shortcut down into turn one. I mean, he would clear him easily in the middle of turn one and two. And I know, I mean, he had the fastest car um, by a lot, but he, that wasn't entirely just the car. That, that, was, yep. that was a very smart move. That was a good move that I saw him do, picking through the field. And you were close on it one time. With about eight laps to go, you got stuck underneath the twenty car. Yep. In yep. turn one. Yep. And the mistake that I thought you made at the time was you tried to side draft the twenty car into turn and, one, where and you, you needed just to take, turning earlier. You needed yep. to just take distance. Because mm-hmm. the only way you're going to beat him is just shortcut, because yep. he was running the high groove. He was he was up the track, mm-hmm. but you chased him, trying to thinking that you were going to side draft him. Yep. Uh, but what the twenty one had been doing was just full shortcut (laughs) and i'm not guaranteeing that you would have cleared him but it it, that you were so close to clearing the 20 that i was like man if he would have shortcutted turn one i wonder if he would have cleared him
0: well that and that's where i went all the way back to behind the double zero i want to say or maybe the seven and then i had to like each lap make a pass and got all the way back to like fifth or sixth in like two or three laps but it was like and then it was but but it was those passes you're describing were the way it made I made it happen, like getting guys loose off a four, dive below them, then going the shortest distance in a one, that sort of thing. Like you had to just send it on people when you wanted to make a pass. Yep. So it was pretty wild. So racing.
1: one last note on this, and we'll move on, um, and we could spend less time talking about Atlanta yeah. later. Uh, but you know, I think a lot of people like to make that shortcut move down into turn three. And it doesn't work. It works in turn three. Well, sort of. But it's not – It's not as good because the distance gain from shortcutting turn three isn't as much. Um, The reason it works in turn three is because the field backs up in turn three Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and there's an accordion effect for whatever reason. Have you looked at the
0: banking there? (laughs) It's not even close. Like turn three looks flat compared to, and if you look at it looking down the backstretch, like if you walk the track, it's flat (laughs) forever into the corner. Yeah. Have you noticed that? Whereas one is super banked. Like you go into the banking. And so what I noticed is like even running higher, there's almost, it feels like there's less banking. And so like you, oh, the, the, the guys in the top, really un- yeah. yes, and they pinch the bottom and that's when you get that loose. A lot of guys would get super loose yeah. you see it or talk, feel like you lose in the right rear because it's just, you don't have the banking to lean on.
1: So I think the new, the thing that I learned from watching this, the, that I would, you know, love to take the next time I race Atlanta is, um, is really focusing on the start finish line to turn one as your passing zone for when you're doing these single car one-on-one having to pick people off. Um, I think you start, you set up your run into turn three to where in the middle of three and four you're starting to get, get some momentum on the car in front of you. You with momentum bait them as high as you can off of turn four, get them up the trial. oval. And then hopefully you can make a crossover move at the start finish line. You don't. I don't think you want to do it before the start finish line. You want to do it at the start finish line, crossover move. You're out by the wall, and mm-hmm. then you're just max distance shortcut um, <laughs> in turn one, and you got it.
0: I like it. I definitely. Uh, I'll note it for sure. And I think I'd like to see it be uh, put in action. So I didn't know if I fully noticed that, but I, I know what you're talking about. But one thing I will say in terms of car and that sort of thing is Austin it was very obvious. His car could suck up to someone's bumper a lot better than some other yep. cars, which is you know pretty running yeah. theme when you have a fast car. So, hey, question for you: mm-hmm. Do you drink coffee before races? I drink coffee all day every day. <laughs> you do, Interesting. Yeah. So I, I didn't like drinking coffee before races because I was like, ugh, it'd make me like jittery, and I just didn't feel like – sometimes i do the energy drinks, but none of those were really great. And then like a year and a half ago, my buddy showed me this coffee that I was like, whoa, this is kind of different. And I now never have a race day without it. Do you want to know what it's called? I do. Please, partner. it's called Yeah, it's called Think Coffee by Four Sigmatic. And it literally, I believe, has made me smarter. And I know you're like, wait a second. How has it made you smarter? (laughs) It's coffee infused with functional mushrooms that work to wake up your mind. And I'm not kidding when I say this. I've literally felt this. Like I've been like, wait, this is different. It's smoother. They say people feel the effects in as little as seven days. But I don't know. I feel like I felt it within a couple days. Just like, wait, something's going on with this coffee I'm drinking because – My brain is operating at a higher level than it did before. Um, And so I'm a huge fan of it. I love just this coffee. I love the way it makes you feel. They have a couple other different coffees out there. I also use their vanilla uh, plant-based protein and their Focus product. And the best part about this, Landon, do you want to know the best part? What's the best part? If you want to try this, you can have their Think Starter Pack, which is the Think Coffee – Uh, the Focus and their Vanilla Creamer, 40% off. And then if you use Money Lap, it's another 15% off, which is 55% off, which I'm no rocket scientist, but I think is a deal. I'm not BSing, by the way. You know this about me. I've had it sent to you as well. Uh, This is the coffee I love. I prefer it. If you want to have the coffee that I believe helped me win Mid-Ohio last year, it's Think Coffee by Four Sigmatic.
1: Use Money Lap. That's awesome. Appreciate Thank it. you, Parker. Thank you for sigmat- yeah. sigmatic. Um Yes, I have. Uh, I have a lot of their stuff because I've gotten some great care packages from them. The protein, the coffee—it is all in the Castle House. So, and we're big <laughs> coffee drinkers. And it tastes. Like, <laughs> it, and you think like mushroom coffee, all this stuff—it's. It just tastes like regular coffee. It's so, and I'm a it's daily, daily, daily coffee drinker.
0: This might be of. one of the yeah. This might be one of the more genuine, uh, like. <laughs> I I would say I would be using that code because because I love this coffee. Yeah, this is organic as it gets, especially because – oh, it's organic coffee. There you go. So let's move into some racing. Uh, We mentioned it. We talked about the Xfinity race, but NASCAR (laughs) was in Atlanta. The Cup Series on Sunday put on a show, an epic show, because they had rain approaching, and everyone knew it, and this was a race to basically end a Stage 2 slash halfway – um, yep. and it was it was incredible. I mean, it was one of the coolest races I've watched in a long time because you just had this this anticipation of of this you know looming end, uh, and everyone was going as hard as they possibly could to get to the lead and crazy fuel strategies, and it, it was just a wild race. I think the the winner in the end, to me, I thought it was gonna be one of those races you get a crazy winner. It was still William Byron. Sorry for the spoiler, um, but. In terms of the racing, it it was incredible, and there was a couple of cool stories up in the top five.
1: Oh yeah, I mean, I was I actually meant to send a tweet out during the race, but um, I I didn't. But I was gonna say every racetrack should have dashes, hot like highway dashes through the corner, <laughs> like Atlanta <laughs> does. Because those cars, the like the camera work, and with the dashes and everything, those cars just looked like they were going so fast, like a thousand and. <laughs> <laughs> and the you know the racing was so good um you know you love to see you hate to see it cut short but even it, it is kind of cool when new strategies emerge um because of weather variabilities and things like that so uh um, well but kudos to nascar about- for playing it safe um for the drivers and teams and the race wasn't even ultimately a disappointment
0: it it was an end and I mean, the the thing that got me was, uh, like, Michael McDowell with a damaged car goes 91 <laughs> laps on fuel. I mean, that thing had to be on absolute fumes to get a top five. AJ Almdinger with the top three finish. I mean, in position to win there if he makes a little bit different move. Well, you know, we talk about Colleague going with him in the Cup Series as someone that was going to get them into the playoffs via winning a road course. Right now, he's... We're halfway through the season. He's there points. So, you know, AJ is just doing AJ things as of late. Since he's gone down to Xfinity, you know, gained a love of driving again, confidence, whatever it is. Goes back to Cup Series full time and is not only, you know, doing things as a road course guy, but is up there. And I thought this this, this race, I know he ran well there in Xfinity as well, but um, I just felt like this, it looked like he he could win a McDowell. I mean, J.J. Yelly, I think, finished seventh, by the way. Wow. Track position was so
1: huge, especially in the cup cars. Yeah. Um, Which is funny because, you know, we complain about that kind of thing a lot of times, but yet here we are talking about how great the race was. So what do you, (laughs) what gives? You can't, I don't know. It's impossible to please us. You can't Um, get it right. Speaking of track position things. So NASCAR is trying this new front spoiler and they're going to test it after the New Hampshire race. And this is like, the culmination of so many water cooler conversations around the sport. I'm so excited. It's so interesting um, on what they're trying. And Mm -hmm. I just started hearing, I like, it sounds like the word is kind of getting out. I don't, I, I think some drivers have actually been public about saying what it is, but NASCAR is trying a new splitter or front spoiler here that creates lift in clean air. And my understanding is that this piece creates lift in clean air, but then in dirty air, because, you know, you don't have the air underneath it creating lift, the car actually will gain like a hundred pounds of downforce. So Wild. if you're in traffic, you actually would have more downforce in traffic than you would in clean air. <laughs>
0: Bring back but the not by a lot.
1: Like this isn't, you know, don't, don't, this isn't dramatic. I mean, a hundred yeah. pounds is a lot, but it also, um, I, my understanding is that in clean air, this this with this front spoiler, it's there's no the car makes no downforce zero.
0: Whoa!
1: So Whoa. when we talk about the era of like, you know, '80s cars or whatever back in the day, there where there's no downforce, this is it. There's no downforce on these cars in
0: clean they air. Were, they were creating lift back then, and I think what some people are calling this the lift splitter, which uh, we need to give a shout out to kevin mcadams uh on discord yes we see the podcast questions in our discord that's the eraser discord by the way um where he said what do you guys think of the new rim- rumored quote lift splitter being tested by nascar so i guess maybe that's gonna be the term that it's gonna gain is the lift splitter the lift splitter yeah so i mean spoiler which spoiler splitter which Old race car, you know, race cars. They were just cars back in the day before we really understood downforce and all those things. A lot of race cars created lift because they didn't really understand the difference, right? Uh, you know, the the Ford GT40 original models would go down the Mulsanne straight at 210 miles an hour, and the front tires would basically be coming off the ground, as the, dr- the drivers would talk about, because they didn't understand what was happening, right? We didn't know about aerodynamics and downforce, and then. You know, we've learned about it obviously over the decades and now it's become something where most motorsports are trying to rid the cars of downforce or the effects of being a trailing car. So this is the reason this is wild is that we don't really have we've never tried to go, or at least in my my time, I haven't heard of someone or a series trying to make the car do what it normally would do by itself behind our car. And what I mean by that is To create downforce behind a car has never been the intention. The intention has always been to make the front car less have less of effect on the rear car. That's always been so this car with the the underbody arrow was designed to hope it it, with a hope that it wouldn't affect the car behind as much. But that's obviously not been the case. So a lot of cars do that.
1: I wouldn't say it's not been the case. It's hard to say if it's if it's a failed experiment or not. Um I think that where we could say it, it well first of all let me just say what it, what we think what I think happened with this car is mm-hmm. they they did a really good job of like tightening the air bubble behind that come the wake that the car makes. Yep. This next gen car. They did a really good job of tightening that bubble to where the wake is smaller and more controlled, but then as a result, you know that's where you get these intermediate races where we've had fantastic races on intermediate tracks because that it's a smaller wake, so the car behind can kind of get off line of the car in front of them, and the air is perfectly clean, right? And they can race really close side by side or adjacent to each other, um, but the car is still making a wake and there is still dirty air it's just really condensed right so it's now you have like this really concentrated channel of dirty air directly behind a car right in traffic and i think that's actually why the short track racing has been bad because short tracks are smaller tracks they're you know more narrow you don't have as many grooves to widen out think of a place like martinsville i mean there's a one groove. you run the bottom yep. that's it so yeah. when you do that, you are literally have no choice but to run in that highly concentrated wake of the car in front of you. So, you know, it's I think that's a one way to think of like, well, why has the racing been so good at Las Vegas um but not at Martinsville or so good at Charlotte, right? Where mm-hmm. Charlotte has been a snoozer <laughs> for the past decade. But then, you know, with the next gen, it's it's been incredible. The racing's been awesome. Uh, But then Martinsville, our favorite tracks, our short tracks have been, uh, you know, hashtag more short tracks for the last couple (laughs) of years. But we institute the next gen and it's like, oh, my God, how do we just ruin these short tracks? So now NASCAR is essentially with this idea of the car creating lift in clean air means it would have less lift in dirty air. So you would, in theory, handle better in dirty air. Um. That one thing, a I, one <laughs> thing I think is a very small but highly unconsidered thing in when it comes to dirty air. There's a little bit of dirty air that is a um. What am I trying to say? Because this isn't my notes. I'm just kind of making this on the fly. But if, this has been a conversation um in the past. There's a, a little bit of dirty air in terms of the drivers is mental. Um, and that is you, when you are a driver and you're going into a corner at any speed and you have a car right in front of you, your visuals are all different, right? Mm -hmm. So your angles and the way, what you're used to looking at going into the corner, the signs, maybe the markings on the racetrack, the paint on the, the, the line, um, you your you, you your perception of of where you're at on the track changes and i've actually seen in the sim before where we race with like a ghost car and you feel like you're getting aero tight in yep. the sim with a yep. ghost car in front of you with no arrow effect. <laughs> <laughs> there's no arrow going on. There's no You're not getting any error yep. from the ghost car in front of you in the sim. The ghost car is literally doing nothing other than it's, a, it's pixels on a screen that's in your way. And you're used to looking at the apex of the corner, but instead there's a car in front of you. And you go, you'll make laps and you'll make laps. And you think to yourself, or I've even seen drivers in the sim that I've worked with before have like... Reported back to the team is like, I'm getting tight behind this, the ghost car. (laughs) And it's like, well, well, (laughs) there's no actual scientific reason for you to get tight behind the ghost car. It's, it's all in your head. It's because you're changing (laughs) your angles and you're changing your perceptions because there's a car in front of you. So I would I would definitely venture to say that that you will never get rid of a driver saying that they have an aero tightness or a, <laughs> a a a handling change in traffic because the drivers will still have that perception change but I digress this this whole you know playing with the aero balances and this front spoiler and you know we talked about the rear spoilers and all that stuff um is is really exciting to see NASCAR um try things you know and NASCAR. Yep. i'm not trying to you know be condescending kind of towards nascar i think they're always trying things they've always been trying things this is just a really interesting thing to try by completely you know changing the the functionality and the goal of the front spoiler speaking of spoilers spoiler diecast.com is one of the largest inventories of in-stock products in the industry from nascar to dirt sprint cars indycar and f1 let's not forget about their pre-order system with a zero down option Talk about flexibility, right? Plus, they have a promo code, Parker, moneylap for free shipping and 5% off all orders. So whether you're looking to reduce some front downforce by installing a front splitter with Aerolift or just looking (laughs) to upgrade your diecast collection, Spoiler Diecast has the gear you need to enjoy your hobbies to the fullest. Trust me, it is like a breath of clean air on my front (laughs) spoiler splitter car whatever. <laughs> so, spoiler diecast. And use the promo code money for free shipping and
0: 5% off all orders. You won't regret it. Spoiler diecast. Thank you for supporting the pod. We appreciate it. We got ads all over the place. Look at us. We're just we're so cool. Speaking of advertisements. It's awesome. We love it. Thank you all everyone listening. We couldn't do without you. Uh please send feedback it's right in the YouTube comments on YouTube if you watch there. We'll read them. They're fun to read. Um, Send us messages on Twitter, threads. We'll get to that later. Uh, But speaking of advertisements, Bush Light announced today, Tuesday, July 11th, that That they are going to be – They're not sponsoring us. Nope, they're not sponsoring (laughs) us, so we're going to keep this real short. Uh, Well, because Big Machine Vodka Spike Coors are better anyway. Um, They're going to Ross Chastain and Trackhouse, which was a big deal for Ross and Trackhouse. So congrats to them. That's awesome. All right, moving on. Oh, can, I, can I make what? one
1: note about that? I do want to move no, on. No, I don't want to this, say anything about it. This, um, this is a extremely big moment in the sport. Because, and, and I wanted to, the way I want to ask this is, when was the last time a blue chip franchise yep. sponsor moved from one organization to the other? Which I think that's happened, but not just that. From a established key partner organization to now, Trackhouse has established themselves. I think as an established mm-hmm. key partner organization, but they're still a challenger brand, right? Yeah, like they're, you know, I don't, I don't know if you would put them until just recently on equals to SHR in terms of like established. SHR has championships. You know, the wins, the history. When was the last time we saw a blue chip sponsor like that take their talents to another organization? I can, name one. Organization?
0: I can name one. Well, What's I can that? name one. So I, I saw it happen. Uh, you know, there's a lot of B2B with this one, which we've talked about before, but when Shell Penzoil left RCR to go to Penske. Mm, that's a big one. That was a big one. I've, I remember that moment. And thinking similar to how you did, which is like, whoa, that was a that's a big deal. That's a monumental shift. Yeah, for that, you know, for RCR to lose it, for Penske to gain it, it's just like, whoa, that's a big one, right? Um, And that's, I mean, I would believe for Stuart Haas, this has got to feel the same way, right? Like, unless there's some others out there, you know, losing as you put it, a blue chip like that is, it's hard to replace. And those relationships normally go for a very long time because they're very entrenched and it's very big programs that have a lot of people that work around them. Um, you know, I, you know, normally, I normally, just- I mean, they're able to, and this is an interesting
1: dynamic to me on the business side of it is like, and this is part of my next question. Normally, when they're that entrenched, you know, with Harvick taking, I guess Harvick, you know, going from RCR to Stuart Haas was a, a huge shift with that sponsor, yep. right? Budweiser. Yeah. Um, and then having a decade, you know, over a decade relationship, Harvick as a driver, usually you see kind of a smooth transition to from Harvick to, you know, the replacement driver and they're able to like keep that all together. So, you know, obviously Harvick retiring from driving and then the sponsor going over to Trackhouse and Harvick, I think, still has like these ties to Stuart Haas because he has drivers that he represents that are represent represents that that are over there, and sponsors I think that he represents that are over there. I mean, is did Harvick lose his relationship with Anheuser Busch too? Like, did Trackhouse completely get this whole package, or did Harvick's agency bring Anheuser Busch over to Trackhouse? I <laughs> I don't know that. I don't know if you know that or not. Or I if don't should know, know that. that. I don't um, know that. But that's that, but
0: interesting. Thing. I know Ross is not with KHI; he's his own management group, MMI, which he's uh, which owner of. Prob- which so which leads me to think
1: that Harvick probably had, doesn't have anything to do with the management of the sponsorship. Nope. Um, which is you know interesting. That's that's a surprise. Yep.
0: Yep. Um, On the business side, that is definitely a, you know blow for all of them involved. that Were a part of that and are not you know now because. That's you know, and for Trackhouse, it's just a it, you put it. It's a feather in the cap. It's a a monumental moment for that team to be less challenger yeah. and more established contender at the front, which they are. I mean, you have to say that they have yeah. been that since well, the I mean, sp- uh, deal.
1: I'm almost you know uh, behind the curve by even calling them a challenger team at this point because no, nope. y- you know they're they're up there in terms of organizations that I think any driver in the sport would call a dream team scenario. Yep. Um, I was actually having this random thought this morning about project 91. And I'm like, what a, what a great brand (laughs) that they just created. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like so good. Like project 91 doesn't have a charter, but I feel like Justin could sell project 91 to somebody. (laughs) Yep. You know what I mean? Like, yep. Like McLaren could come into NASCAR. And buy Project Ninety One, from like the, the brand itself. What do you think that would be worth? A Couple million bucks, maybe. I don't, I don't I know. Mean, Who worth... knows? It's not. I don't know. There's no equipment tied to it necessarily. Yeah. There's no. You know. It's. It doesn't have a charter, but like, I don't know. It's a. It's a. It's a niche, right? It's yep. a car number. It's a brand. It's international drivers coming into NASCAR. You could. He, that's a. That's a pretty valuable property. If if he if Justin needed to or wanted to, he could sell Project Ninety One. To somebody and give them a good jump start on, you know, drivers and sponsors for uh, for that
0: model. Damn, that's I... fascinating because I didn't even think about that. But you're right; like it's established brand now for international drivers to come and try NASCAR, and for millions of the race fans now. Own that, yeah. For millions of race fans now, that is that is what they'll think. Like if a driver comes over from anywhere else, they'll think, well, "Why didn't they not do it in Project 91?
1: Yeah. Like imagine being a kid, you know, if if you're a young race fan right now, like I, I'm thinking of myself when I was a kid, yep. I would have had, you know, a, a binder full of all the drivers that drove the Project 91 car, you know, and I would have, I would have yep. known every driver that drove it and their backgrounds and where they came from. And, you know, that would be like a thing that I knew, Project 91. Like that's what, that and I know <laughs> that was the purpose of why Justin did that. Um, so, you know, this is no surprise to, I know we're, you know, behind the times here in terms of revealing this to the world while well, Justin <laughs> created this car, you know, this was obviously his vision from the start. Um, but it's just funny to see it play out in fruition now with a race win. It's like, I, that car doesn't have to be a track house car, another, you know, somebody could come and be an investor in pri- project 91 and elevate project 91 to another level, right? Um, (laughs) if they wanted to Justin, but Justin created this niche in this model that, um, and this brand that kind of has a little carved out a little bit of ownership space in NASCAR out of something that was, didn't even exist, right? Everybody thinks you got to own charters to own anything valuable in the sport and Trackhouse is kind of proving that eh, you can just create a good brand. And if it's, if it's a good brand and people like
0: it, it's valuable, man, that's interesting. That's really, I didn't, I, you know, I knew the the reasoning for the brand and differentiation and all that, but the way you just put it and how it's been that successful, there's no doubt. It is, a, it is an entity that is valuable now. It's a brand. It's a valuable brand. That's incredible. Uh, you mentioned McLaren, which means we can jump into Formula One because British Grand Prix was this last weekend. There was four very exciting laps uh, that Landon Norris was ahead of Max Verstappen. Uh, but McLaren... Was incredibly fast all weekend, and mm-hmm. they there were some who said they basically gained one second in pace <laughs> with these upgrades that they brought to the really? British Grand Prix, which is just insane. But some of the doubters, or at least the I guess not doubters, um, we'll just say like you know critics out there, started to notice some very uh, close similarities to the Red Bull in terms of the design of the mclaren and their upgrades which i say <laughs> cool well done like if you figured out how to take photos and copy that from photos i don't know it's people get all you know fussy about that and i'm like well wait a second yeah like sometimes people want to say like oh they you know they, you know there was a the gate mclaren gate many years ago they got fined 100 million dollars for stealing secrets from ferrari or whatever um right. But the thing is, you know, all these teams are taking video and photos and scanning their competitors' cars constantly. You know, <laughs> there was years where the F1 cars had, you know, in practice; they had cameras on them that were filming the car ahead of them, and it was just doing all sorts of crazy stuff, trying to figure out what they have. And so, right. if they were able to use whatever technology they're using, maybe there's some. They have about four hundred eighty-seven technology sponsors at McLaren, and that might be an <laughs> understatement. It could be six hundred and seventy-five. I don't know. Uh, maybe one of those sponsors has some crazy technology that can scan those cars and you know create CAD drawings and boom, here you go, here's your new parts. I don't know, but kind of cool to see, or crazy to see.
1: You know, it's funny. We kind of talked about this last week when we were talking about your uh uh your sharing your driver notes to Mid Ohio. <clears throat> oh yeah, and I think I I quoted um. Kichiro toyota who said way back in the 1950s once people asked him about um, the threat of his designs of his sewing machines getting out um he said that uh it doesn't matter if they copy the designs it's the um the knowledge from all the failures that got to the design um, that they're not getting and so you we see that in we see that in technical alliances in racing too where it's like You can take a team that is building their own cars and created the technology to build those cars and the manufacturing to build those cars. And then another team comes in and becomes a technical partner and they buy all the same equipment, right? And they're buying the cars and they're buying the parts and pieces. They have the same simulation. They work with the engineers. They sit in all the meetings. They even get the cars built for them and somehow they don't run as good. (laughs) And it's like there's this un quantifiable value in being the the one that made the design that is yep. worth that extra little bit right whatever it is I don't even know or if it's execution I, or just I don't just understanding know. I
0: mean, the intricacies of it and knowing where to make the... just dis- you know well
1: that's what makes me think of that that's what makes me think of that quote from Kitro Toyota which is just like you can you could copy every every ounce of our design. Mm-hmm. But because you didn't make it, because you didn't make the design, you're not getting the actual knowledge. And that knowledge is what it allows you to execute on it, right? Hmm. Now, yeah. if McLaren did copy the design, you know, and obviously there's, they would have had to stolen actual drawings and stuff to get a true copy. If they're just copying it off of pictures, that's even a farther separated from the kind of rabbit hole I just went down. But, uh, But it is an interesting... Thing in racing, and now you know. In racing, it's it is fun to look at your competitors' cars and try to kind of take one thing that you see and then put the puzzle pieces together to say, "Hey, are they looking at this from a different perspective than we are?" Um, And sometimes it does help. And in Formula One, everything is so outward facing because you have side pods, and you know you see everything um, underbellies and all that stuff. Uh,
0: Yeah, (laughs) I don't think they refer to as
1: underbellies. Or what do they call it? Under underwings? Trays. Floor Trays under uh, the floor. Yeah. Under bellies. But it's interesting <laughs> to think like, okay, if McLaren <laughs> Okay, well, I want to go down just one more rabbit hole in this. Okay. Didn't if if McLaren copied Red Bull's design just based off of pictures and insider knowledge you know maybe they got a mole at red bull or you know people that they talk to what you know how nascar garage you know the nascar garage is right like yep there's people get information from all sorts of places did if mclaren went down that route that wasn't something they just learned in a weekend right like they didn't just <laughs> like zach didn't you know the Zach and the team didn't wake up on a Monday morning and look at flip through some photos and go, "Oh, well, that's enlightening. Let's build our car that way." <laughs> they would have had to like I, i'm I'm creating this world. I don't even know if this is true or possible or not. Zach Brown, if you're listening, send me a text and tell me if this is true <laughs> the, like they they would have had to create this intentional month long months long effort of like, this is how we're going to improve the pace of our cars. We're going to copy Red Bull. Yeah. (laughs) And then like, here's how we're going to do it. (laughs) Like, we're going to review photos and we're going to create like mock-ups and copycats and then put them in CFD and like, you know, like create the CAD drawings. It's it's not an overnight thing. They didn't just look at a side pod and go, oh, we should try our side pods like that. Damn, They would have had to redesign. So it would have had to been like, hey, instead of just continuing down our own path of development, we're just going to copy this other car. But the, even that is a process of development if they were to do it that way.
0: Well, 100% because you also have to confirm the stuff, you have to make it work within your car and the, you know, all the different intricacies of your car and really, you know, your balance of your car's, all the things you've done that are just different, you're going to have to make it meld and gel with that and that's going to be a massive process. But to your point, like it's it didn't just I think some people look at it and they're like, oh, they just showed up with upgrades this week. That must have been like, you know, that happened over Tuesday to Wednesday. And it's like, no, like this is months in the making. It's, it's a massive undertaking to build these parts. You know, teams talk about all the time. You, even if you have new parts, you can't even always have them, you know, backups of them because you can't create them fast enough. These aren't, they're not manufacturing facilities at the scale of a car manufacturer because they're making bespoke one off parts. So if you need to create a entirely new wing design and use, you know, through your carbon autoclaves and that sort of stuff, that is a that is a each and every time singular process that can't just be repeated as you make mm-hmm. changes, right? So I think that's another thing that people lose focus in the, the difficulty of making improvements and in copying how, in our car because it's a how huge many, undertaking. How many months do you think this project was for mclaren
1: because i'm just thinking about the race season and i'm thinking it was about a month and a half ago that the red bull car famously was lifted up and and photographed mm, in monaco
0: weird i was going to say a month i was going to say mayish <laughs> so i wonder if that if, if that inspired
1: um <laughs> It, maybe that was the maybe that was the turning point on the McLaren strategy. I McLaren mean, was awfully stru- frustrated back then too.
0: They were very frustrated. They were very. They were off. pretty
1: frustrated back in May.
0: Toto Wolff it, it put out some frustration of the, the amount they picked up, and he basically said, "Well, if they did it, maybe we should do it too." So, <laughs>
1: hey, whatever it takes, I guess.
0: Yeah, but yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, the.
1: The interesting, uh, I guess the good news, bad news, uh, the good news is the cars are faster. The bad news is um, they gained all their speed in the high-speed corners, and Silverstone's over. So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> You need another high-speed track. Good luck. We need another high-speed track. Oh, When's our next high-speed
0: still on F1? They were still almost three-tenths behind Max Verstappen. And they're still qualifying. 3 off, Yeah. Which, yeah, yeah, we
1: gained all this time, and they did finish podium. They did a wonderful job, but nobody is within...
0: Three to five tenths of the Red Bull. Nope. Because if the Red Bull makes one improvement or max, you know, they just tune up the motor a little bit, he's gone. Can I just say one more thing about McLaren? Um, Mm -hmm. Can you consider yourself a tech company if you don't currently sponsor McLaren? I'll leave um, that question out there for the masses. <laughs> yeah, that's a good one. Very good. Are you in yeah, tech?
1: Are you? Are you even a tech company if you don't sponsor the McLaren F1
0: team? Yeah, just if that's, if you're not a logo of one of those four thousand tech company logos, then i highly, I'm not sure how long you're gonna last. Um, some news, driver news. It's been shocking the world today. For some, Nick DeVries is out at AlphaTauri. Danny Ricciardo is in. And of he did a little test for Red Bull and now is suddenly going to be driving again. Um, there's a lot to unpack here. First and foremost, we talked about this on this pod uh, a couple weeks ago, maybe, right? And we we were both talking about drivers, and you brought up a great point, which was hey, what does that say? You know, when they were talking about getting rid of him only three months in the season or two months in the season, you were like, what does that say about the management decisions that were made? To hire well, I this tweeted, driver. I right? tweeted it. Yeah. Um, and then I saw – you find your tweet. But then I saw Lucas De Degrassi, who's the Keep Formula talking. E I champion. And he tweeted today, when you ask a driver after 10 races, it shows the process of making the hiring decision is wrong. Motor racing relies too much on instinct or, quote, one lap or, quote, one race result instead of looking to the long-term norm of a specific driver. Uh so much methodology and data to make the car what did he say here to make the car faster so little so little used to choose the right race driver i uh I did tag you on that tweet and say it sounds familiar because your tweet was very similar to that but it it does he's he's entirely right about this because mm-hmm. you 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 like it gets posed like oh bad driver, all this stuff, but really they didn't do their homework, potentially here.
1: Yeah. yeah. So my my tweet was while I understand, I, I tweeted this on June thirtieth, back when the rumors started. Uh, Formula racers on Twitter started. Um, oh, was reporting the we are. The, uh, I'm sorry, the race was reporting um, some things, and so the rumors were swirling. And I tweeted while I understand the importance. Of performance and the responsibility the driver has it often seems to me that mid-season moves from teams especially at a high level of formula one you didn't just read this did you no i just read lucas okay. Grassi's. maybe you read you. okay sorry i was <laughs> i was looking for my own tweet especially at a high level of formula one are a reflection of poor management more so than a poor driver if i'm the owner of a team where the management is setting objectives such as do better and threatening to replace a rookie driver midseason, I'm asking management questions like, "How did we get here? What were our goals? Did those goals change?" Bias disclosure: I am a driver. <laughs> um, and then, yeah, I, it's kind of interesting. We we had some some conversations about that on the phone. I spoke with some um, actually team general managers about it. Like, kind of like brought the opposing view to me that I would be a fun fun debates to have uh more in the open but i i actually was able to kind of sway my subject on it where i'm just like hey i get i get it if you want to say nick wasn't performing maybe he wasn't showing up to meetings by the way none of this is being claimed i don't you know nothing i'm just these are a lot of times the 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 results of why how a driver gets fired, right? It's not just because yep. they suck. Maybe the driver wasn't doing their homework, weren't they? They weren't working well with the team, right? But my point is, you're F one. You have two hundred million a year to spend. Yep. You, you know, you have all you have these teams of people that are responsible for assembling this the most optimal race team within the budget. You, you have a lot of resources. And three months ago, this was your guy, right? Everybody was excited. He came to the Christmas party after the after you signed him before the season got
0: started. <laughs> you know, like this this was this was your guy. And Wait, is that, into it. Unpack that a little bit. Just take me back to that that time frame because I think I feel like we've been there. <laughs> <laughs> what? I'm just saying, take like, the, you know, the you time sign. frame. You I, don't,
1: I, I don't even know when Nick. I don't even know when when Nick and Alpha Tori, Signed their original <laughs> deal But if they signed it in October You know he came to the Christmas party right?
0: <laughs> So if they they was a deal the man. October,
1: He came to the Christmas party You know Drinking Red Bull vodkas Partying Everybody's pumped He had a ton of success um, You know beforehand That's how he got the ride In the first place Like this guy's the next big thing He's a You know exc- It's always exciting To bring a rookie on Because in a lot of ways, like rookie drivers, there's so much blue sky because you you bring on a rookie because he's talented and he's proven. But then the team also kind of they have this pressure, but then they also don't have this pressure because they're like, hey, it's a rookie and he's gonna he's gonna have to learn and there's gonna be you know bumps down the road. So it's just like you know, six months ago, this was your guy. We were excited about him, and he made it ten races into the season, and you're canning him. <laughs> Right? Like, we didn't get through the season. We didn't get through two seasons to say, hey, like, here's a pattern, you know, that we've seen. There's 10 races into the season and we're canning this guy. Right? To me, my argument, and Lucas DeGrozzi rightfully tweeting this, is just like, hey, that's a management problem. That's not a driver problem. I'm not saying the driver's not the problem. I don't know. I really don't know much about Nick, Nick DeVries. But the f- if the driver really is the problem and, and Nick is not capable of being an F one driver in this at this level, then management should have never hired him in the first place. Their process for hiring was bad. Yep. And their their selection process was was flawed. Now maybe Nick is capable. Maybe he is. You know. Maybe I don't know. We we didn't get him in the right environment. I think that the, I think that it's just this kind of decision is just more chaotic than it is strategic. Yeah, I don't understand the strategy strategy behind it. Um, it's not like they kept him for a year and then said, "Hey, you know, he didn't perform on these KPIs that we're looking for." Or two years, ten races into the season, replacing your rookie driver is
0: that's just chaotic. It's it doesn't make much sense. But as we like to say in racing, I I, I think a lot of the media and people are viewing this as a performance thing. But the Alfa has proven to be one of the slowest cars in the season, right? If you look at the last couple of years, Yuki Sonoda had a really tough first year mm-hmm. um, and was <clears throat> vastly behind his teammate, Pierre Gasly. Then got a little closer, closed the gap by about 20% the next year, but was still a problem. The difference is Yuki Tsunoda uh, is a Honda development driver. Honda provides the engines to Alpha Tory. <laughs> <laughs> was told earlier this year, or re- remember at one point reported was had an offer to be sold for somewhere around uh 800 million 700 million somewhere in there. We look at uh Dietrich Matschevitz, oh what my gosh, how do I say Matashevitz, whatever? Uh from Red Bull passes away. This was a second, this is a BT uh, B team for them. They are there's rumors that they are told, hey, you're no longer going to be Tory. You have to figure out a way to be more self-sufficient funding-wise. Rookie driver who doesn't bring anything suddenly isn't performing as well. Within the Red Bull system is a fan-favorite superstar who doesn't have a ride. You're trying to sign sponsors to fill the gap because your main source of support is saying you have to become self-sufficient. I'm not a Mm -hmm. rocket scientist and I don't know if all that lines up perfectly, but as I sit here and read all these different things, as we like to say in racing, follow the money Mm. to me, this seems less about performance and more about financial upside. Um, And so I believe Nick DeVries, most you know less or some more data that comes out that he's just unbelievably bad at driving suddenly compared to everything they saw beforehand uh, would tell me that this is a financial move less a performance move usually
1: such is the case <laughs> um, and you're right parker and that is a very that was a very thoughtful analysis um even more thoughtful than what I think. My analysis is pretty thoughtful that these type <laughs> of decisions are chaotic and they have less to do with the driver and more to do with management. And actually, you're right. That would that if you're right, Parker, then it does have to do with management, right? Yep. Yeah. 100%. It is purely it is managing management. the business. It is purely yep. managing the business.
0: Um do and... I agree with with if they've been, you know, they've been putting this all about performance, if that's really the case. It's an unfortunate casualty. Now, Red Bull does have a history of the past of doing things like this, right? They've moved guys from the top down. Uh, Danny Kvyat had that happen, right? Pierre Gasly uh, you know, was moved famously and then went on mm-hmm. to win again. So they've done this sort of thing. But in this specific situation, I just find a lot of it odd. Um and I looked at all those factors and to me, I don't know. They seem they seem too closely to line up with what we know about racing and finances uh mm-hmm. to make this more of a financial decision than a performance one. When when
1: was the last time we saw something like this in NASCAR? Oof. Rookie driver ten races into the season, canned. Oh. What
0: would that where would that be? Uh, it's been a while.
1: I feel like got this him. maybe was more prevalent in the early 2000s to see Definitely the early 2000s. Of,
0: they were more cutthroat about it. Um I don't think there was a lot of, you know, there was a lot Scott of data Speed used. He might
1: have got parked.
0: Well, AJ. Who? You're talking about AJ got parked. Was it parked. AJ that
1: got parked or Scott Speed? It was AJ that got parked.
0: Yep. And they put Mike Skinner in for some yep. races. They were struggling to make races for sure. He had that happen. Uh who else? I'm thinking of another one. I mean, I think um, you could say a little bit of Joe Logano and JGR falling apart, but that was after a couple of years, so it's not quite. The yeah, same. I'm talking about like yeah.
1: brutally harsh, <laughs> short you know, time like, period. Yeah, <laughs> short time period. Now, mine is actually the opposite. I have an interesting story. That's the opposite. Um, my first real cup opportunity in 2011 with Phoenix Racing, driving for James Finch. Mm-hmm. I replaced Bill Elliott after five races in the season. <sighs> How dare you? Now he wasn't the rookie; (laughs) I was the rookie going (laughs) in. (laughs) He was million dollar bill, but uh, five races into the season, Finch said, "No mo," and moved (laughs) Bill out. (laughs) Did you get a hate mail? No, I don't think so. Mm. That was also. Twitter existed, but that was before
0: Twitter was really and rolling. When it comes, you to you do African that stuff. now, you would be oh, gosh. number one. I'm surprised you admitted it. <laughs> I think Bill's doing all right. Yeah, I think he's off. He'll be fine.
1: That chase, I did feel a little that bad chase bad boy it, of his I,
0: might be successful too. Yeah, I don't know.
1: Yeah. I, I I felt bad a little bit at the time, but I was so excited. But I can't think of anything else. I I can't think of. Watchers uh, <sighs> got we got to be missing
0: one because I I totally put that on the spot. Put you on the spot on that. No, I know. I was um, trying to think. Even like Xfinity, like I'm thinking of the, you know, the, um, well, Reed Sorensen at the 32. He was third in points. What? Uh, was it 2011, 2012? Didn't he lead the 32 like mid season? Oh, no, it was
1: late in the season, though. Like late in the season, they lost. I think they lost their sponsor. And and yeah, they were like running well in points, and just straight up, just gone. I think I. That was like, was that the Dollar General
0: deal like went he away was, or something went away. But I don't. But I don't think Dollar General left yet. I think it, there was something going on. They That's, were going to leave the next
1: year, and they so they just I can't maybe. remember what
0: it was. I don't I remember know. Remember that it was pretty egregious. Yeah. So I've seen it there. I mean,
1: I say that from the driver's perspective. We, we again, we're you know, we don't have all of our facts or know exactly no. what was going on and Decided. We well, right now we have zero facts. I know because we can't even <laughs> come up with a really good. Um, <laughs>
0: A really good example. All right, should we move on? Well, first, we said the
1: chat GPT <laughs> has been entirely unhelpful. So, thank it doesn't know for trying to use AI to help find old examples of this. But well, what's you next? know
0: what? We'll we'll look it up for next time. If you're listening and you know an example of what we're talking about uh, in NASCAR, even IndyCar, uh, send us it. Send it in. Let us know. Tweet at us. Something like that. We'll uh, put it on the next podcast. We'll see. I'm sure more information will come out hear about this Nick DeVries situation I would my last bit about this and that we don't have to go down this rabbit hole but just for Danny Ricciardo he's basically stepping into the worst car one of the worst cars on the grid (laughs) which I find an odd thing to do but hey he's got the edge he's gonna go racing so we'll see um we promised last week that we would dive into some of the economics of Fuma E because you've you've prefaced that you might be we're we're gonna one day maybe one day we'll own a team or you're gonna be racing for me as the first NASCAR driver makes the switch. Who knows? Uh, yeah. But that got me thinking about all the economics around it, and I actually had a young kid this past weekend tell me he was looking forward to us going to this discussion. So this is for you, young Literally. kid. I didn't get his name. So well, it's also for, for me because this could be yeah. potential. You should know these things. You know, my future. You should know these things. So from what I could gather in some quick Google searching. Uh, first and foremost, how much does it cost to run a full Eight team? So I had heard all sorts of wild numbers like at one point teams are spending 15 million per car, that sort of thing. it does kind of line up with what I'm seeing because they enacted a budget cap uh, that goes up oh. subsequently over the next couple of years. Right now the spending cap is 14.5 million, which I believe is over both cars. So you know roughly seven and a, yeah seven and a quarter per car. This goes up to 16.9 over the next couple of years for both cars. They only do 16 races, of which there's only, I think, 12 events. So that puts you, if you just do it per race, that puts you at 500 grand per car, basically, um, when they get to that that level. So the bit that gets me curious about those numbers I was told about these teams spending around 15 million per car, the top ones, was the manufacturer's cap, they are able to spend twenty eight point two million across two seasons for R D and quote team related services. So that's where I think some of the top teams get their budgets a bit higher, right? Um mm-hmm. and maybe the <clears throat> budgets were higher and now they've sort of tried to come down with this cost cap. So I found that interesting. But I, I think really what Does, you can do, sum it up to what's that? Do manufacturers support more than just one organization? They do have or- occasionally where they'll, you know, some teams have used the powertrain of another Manufactured, for sure. So, you know, it's not like, you know, it's kind of like Formula One. The powertrain can go sort of around. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought this was interesting. I think for fans to understand, who primarily probably listen to our podcast, know NASCAR really well. 500 grand per race, that lines up with a spend of a top cup team, for sure. That's a Hendrick. On a per uh, race budget. Yeah, on a per race budget. But not on an annual budget. Not on an annual budget, no. But there's a per twice race. as many cup races as there are Formula E races. More That's than That's what twice. I was trying to say. Yeah, I was saying if you, if you expanded it out, they would be spending similar, you know, these, so, but I, the, what I took from this is it's very similar to a cup team, uh, in terms of per race, obviously total spend different, you know, you, you just double basically every bit of this and that would be your, your total spend mm-hmm. for two cars or one car in the uh, cup series. Um, I could not find out what it would take to buy one right now. So I could mm-hmm. I couldn't get that answer. If you're listening out there, you can help me find that. I'd be more than, uh, happy to entertain the information because there just wasn't a lot of information out there. I think these are obviously not traded around a lot. Uh, how do you value these things? I could not, and this is what I was trying to find out, how much money the series was making revenue-wise. I could find that out, but I couldn't exactly find out how much was going to the teams and what the level of sponsorship was out there, um, you know, from the the TV rights and broadcast rights. But it seems like the the series in 2020 was just about approaching profitability for the first time. So they've been mm-hmm. losing money for years prior because I think they were subsidizing the teams a lot. They'd started to get to the point where they were able to profitably subsidize the teams, you know provide them an, an allocation of some sort of income and then also make a profit. That sort of went awry post pandemic, but they now have a new CEO who's doing a great job uh, in this first 30 to 100 days and is excited about all sorts of different prospects they have in terms of broadcast rights uh new races sponsors coming on board. So and it, and I think they he made one really good point which is that there's there's every day more and more electric cars on the road and there's more electric cars being made and that sort of thing and so for them the tailwind effect of the electric car becoming more pro, you know prolific throughout the world is only going mm-hmm. to be a you know a boom for them. So they're basically you want to go racing for me you gotta have some cheese right now. So,
1: um, so zeroing this back into our action plan. Yep. Um, yep. let's say step one of it isn't necessarily buying a team, but step one is getting me in in a Formula E car full time. We need to. Well, we need to send you in there like a spy. We need. We need. <laughs> so you said the spending cap is between fourteen and a half and sixteen point nine. So oh, so we need yeah. fifteen million, but that's for two cars. That's two cars. Yeah, you just so, need seven and a half. So for me, cool. I just need seven and a half. Yeah, you probably could bring like three car, and a half. The, the one car I'm going to drive is going to have around seven and a half million in funding on it. Yep. Now we don't know how much of that is prize money. We don't, we don't. But let's just assume that there's not much prize money because there probably Same. isn't much. No, there's probably not much. And so let's just assume that any of the prize money is goes towards paying the driver and team profits, right? Yep. So yep. Even if there's only... You know, two million bucks in prize money. um, You still got to run the team off of fifteen million, and then the driver and the team can split the profits. Yeah, prize money. Okay. Yeah. So we need seven and a half million in sponsorship to run a Formula E car. (laughs) That's
0: the that's what we discovered here. We don't know. We're not exactly sure uh, the level of what each team spends. You know, maybe there's the uh, the lesser team where you only need three and a half. I don't know. But, uh, and how fast mm. they would really be. But uh, I thought it was interesting. I, I did find it like I've looked at what showed me that they have serious money behind them is when you. I always think the mark of a racing series is a look at all the stuff that isn't usually on TV. So, what I mean by that is always go and look at haulers, the surrounding, uh, you know, hospitality. Look at the. Mm-hmm the way the teams invest in sort of how they present themselves at the racetrack, what their pit boxes look like and all those things. And I always felt like you could tell a racing series health by the, the, how new that stuff was, its condition mm-hmm. and sort of the innovation happening around it. When yep. series are doing well, innovation is happening everywhere. That's from pit right. boxes to hospitality to everyone. When they're not doing well. All you have to do is if anyone listening was at champ car races in 2007, Every bit of Newman – like even the best team in newman Haas's stuff looked like it had been through 10 years of the hardest short track <laughs> racing you've ever yeah. seen. And and it was – I was like – that was the day the light mm-hmm. bulb went off to me, and I was like, that is the mark of the health of the series. So when I looked mm-hmm. at Fulma e you look around, and their garage layouts and the innovation around the way they present the teams and the hospitality and all that just signals to me, okay, they're doing okay. You know?
1: So basically, if we go to a Formula E race and yep. the general manager is staying in the motorhome lot in a brand new Newell bus, <laughs> then we know that it's going to be seven and a half million to get in the ride.
0: Exactly. That's the dark. But if we go to a Formula
1: E race to meet with a team and the general manager meets us at the Marriott that he's staying at, <laughs> or the Courtyard Marriott, or the Super 8, then we'll be like, ah, eh, maybe it's more like two and a half.
0: Exactly. Perfect. <laughs> Got it. That's that's our fully financial breakdown. We'll keep you updated on how we do. Uh last thing here today before we go, I just thought we need to talk about it Threads versus Twitter. Uh Threads being the the Insta, Facebook Instagram thing that came out uh I guess this last week, was it? Mm-hmm. And um it's interesting. I don't know like I you and I are big Twitter guys. So this is interesting. Mm-hmm. For me it's just another app. I don't want to open it. All these things. It seems like Twitter beta, you know, in a lot of ways, but obviously connected Instagram, if they're going to keep connecting it, Instagram's a very powerful platform. You're going to have to yep. be on it. <clears throat> I don't know. I don't have a strong feeling one way or the other, but you know, know where threads you. would,
1: you know where threads would win me over. And I noticed this in the weekend, just cause I got on threads. I made a couple threads. I haven't checked. I haven't even looked at the app in three days. Um, it's not in my routine of app checking at the moment. Um, and there's nothing new that I'm looking for in threads that I feel like I can't already find on Twitter, even though I'm sure there already is. I just like, it's not in my habit to to do it yet. Um, but if threads was integrated into Instagram, Mm -hmm. where there was like, I'd open Instagram and do my routine through Instagram. And then there was a threads, like i where i could click threads and just see my threads timeline um or if it was even more integrated through instagram maybe not ruining the instagram feed necessarily but if it was integrated into instagram that way and not like a standalone app that could get me to probably spend more time on threads than yeah or to steal time away from the time i spent on twitter yep that's
0: it's a great point
1: i don't know if that's where they're headed with it or what you know but it
0: hit 100 million users the fastest uh growing product of all time and i uh i don't know i i is just find a, it's stickiness though this, there's not stickiness well that's the thing it's it's what is the stickiness i haven't found it there's nothing it offers me different everyone's just taking it's just like tiktok and reels they're just taking the same stuff and putting it over there vice versa yeah it's going to be the same thing with twitter and this it's text based it's the same format what is the reasoning in it you know, other than it's connected to Instagram and we, you know, you're following, maybe it's more valuable. So I don't know.
1: I thought of like, is there a content type of my own that I could just make threads the destination for only that? Mm. Right? Like, if I came up with a new type of content that I wanted to make, whether it was writing jokes or, you know, retweeting stupid stuff, I don't know. But it's just like, you go to my threads timeline, that's where you see it. Instead <laughs> of just like, having two different conversations going at the same time on two different platforms that ultimately are the same thing. You know what I mean? Yep. We just be like, uh, my threads is where you just find pictures of my dog or, or I don't know (laughs) the (laughs) rest. Instagram is where you'd find pictures of my dog, but I just mean, yeah,
0: that's nice. Good. Okay. Well, that's it. That's all I had on this one. Watch the firecracker 400 starting Wednesday, so starting when you listen to this podcast, and Thursday, yep. Uh And also it's on twitch.tv slash underscore gg. And starts at 8. What we time do to we start tomorrow? Producer Josh, what time do we start? Know. Is it 8 p.m.? No, the, the, the finals 8 p.m. We start at 7.10. 10. 7.10 p.m. <laughs> we should know Eastern that. <laughs> Eastern. 7 p.m., three hundred more than 300 competitors trying to make it all the way to the end over the next three weeks. It's the ultimate... It's the biggest sim racing event in America. Go watch it. Subscribe to the Money Lap newsletter. Thanks for listening. Thank you so much for listening to the Money Lap. Please subscribe and review us on your platform of choice. And be sure to join our newsletter for the best five minutes in motorsports delivered directly to your email inbox every Tuesday and Thursday. And you know what? We love bringing you all of this content for free. So what do we ask for? simply for you to subscribe and to let us know every single thing we are doing wrong. If you want to leave us those sorts of opinions, please go over to YouTube, subscribe there, and leave us comments in the comment sections below the videos. We might just respond. We might put you on the next podcast. Most of all, we just love the feedback, even when it's really mean. Thank you for listening.